Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist. And I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. As you know, I have a lot of interest in cancer care outside of the U.S. We've actually taped a couple of episodes on that. And I think it's really uh, important to understand what happens when it comes to cancer care outside of the United States of America, because there are many, you know, look, cancer is a global disease and there are many um, nationals in the U.S. who are from different countries. There are many uh, also foreigners from different countries who come to the U.S., but at the end of the day, there are so many other cancer patients outside of the U.S., and I've always been really interested in understanding how do various countries handle cancer care. And I got to meet Dr. Hamid El-Shamsi, who is the president of the Emirates Society of uh, Cancer, uh, of Oncology, uh, through social media. Uh, And I got to learn that he actually wrote a book, him and his colleagues, called Cancer in the Arab World. It is actually uh, close to, it's over 400 pages, and it actually talks about cancer in every single Arab country, goes over 22 countries in terms of cancer care. So I was fascinated by the level of detail as well as how much effort this must have taken from Dr. Al-Shamsi and his colleagues. So what do we do on Healthcare Unfiltered? We invite the author to come on Healthcare Unfiltered and we ask questions about the book, about cancer care, about the differences in cancer care between that region of the world and the United States. Uh, that's really uh, uh, very critical and uh, and important to understand. So, so, so really, the purpose of today's podcast is to better understand what, what happens in that region of the world, which is over four hundred uh, million people, and to hopefully uh, you know talk about the book and realize what we can actually understand, what it took to write that book, uh, and and how long actually that taken in terms of time and effort. Uh, Professor Ahmed Al-Shamsi, he's the founder and director of the Medical Oncology Service at Burjil Medical uh, City. Uh, and you learn as I interview him that he actually uh, did his uh, medical school uh, at the University of Cork, the National University of Ireland in 2005, uh, and graduated with honors, and then he went on to get do his internal medicine residency at McMaster University in Hamilton, Canada, and then did fellowship in GI oncology and went and worked at University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center for several years as an assistant professor before he went back to the UAE to establish the oncology program. This is always fascinating journey when I learn about uh, someone who has spent 20 years abroad and then comes back to home country trying to make an impact. And you are going to learn so much from Dr. El um, Shamsi on this uh, podcast. So I appreciate you tuning in and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, write a brief review and refer this podcast, this episode and other episodes to your friends and colleagues. I would be forever and eternally grateful. You can visit my website at www.shadinabhan.com. You could also follow me on Twitter at shadinabhan, as well as on Instagram, shadi underscore healthcare unfiltered. If you are a loyal listener, don't forget to demand the best t-shirt in business, the t-shirt of the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. Just direct message me and let me know and I will mail it to you. Don't forget also to follow Dr. Hamid Al-Shamsi on Twitter, his Twitter handle is alshamsi2000. Uh, and uh, really, he posts a lot of interesting things pertaining to cancer care in that region. Without further ado, Dr. Ahmed Alshamsi, uh, the brain power behind this amazing book, Cancer in the Arab World, exclusively on Healthcare Unfiltered Podcast. Mid, welcome to Health 
Kieran Filter. This is your first time on this podcast. Hopefully, it won't be last. If you play your cards right, I may ask you again. So, you know, be careful. But um, it, it will be my pleasure anytime, inshallah. But uh, for folks who don't know you, just a little bit about you, uh, who you are, uh, and how did you end up uh, in the UAE currently? Because you've 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 gone all over the world. I've I've read about you, and um, tell us a little bit about you, your training, where you were, and how did you end up uh, in Dubai in the UAE currently? Okay, so basically, I'm from here. I grew up uh, in UAE, and uh, I always had a passion for medicine. When I finished my high school, I went to Ireland where I studied medicine for seven years. I did my internship. Then I went to Canada where I went to McMaster University of Ontario, where I did my internal medicine, followed by medical oncology, followed by palliative care, followed by GI oncology. And then I was just about to come back home. And then I said, you know what? We have to come, we have to go to the US. You know, the US is the hub for oncology. And actually, I did apply for a fellowship in GI at MD Anderson, but uh, they said, hey, you're already trained, you're qualified, come and join us. So it, I was a little bit, you know, um, not sure initially because you know, I had to do the USMLE, I had to go through this pathway. I wasn't licensed in the US, but I decided to take six months off. I've taken six months off, I've done the USMLE, and then I went to the US. I, this was back in 2014, and I was an assistant professor at MD Anderson at the GI Medical Oncology Department from June 2014 until February 2017, so almost three years. And then it was time to come back home to the UAE after 20 years away from home. And uh, I, I, I returned home, and maybe that's why I started the story. We can talk more about the book. But uh, I, I do like, you know, uh, the, 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 I like research, academia. But when I came here, I just found out we don't have any basic science or even database to go back to. So I started looking into the research in the, our region. That's why I'm more focused in research about the Middle East and UAE and oncology. So, uh, Ahmed, what made you go to Ireland first? Did you have a family there or it's, you know, was there something specific about Ireland? Was it easier to go there or how did that happen? Well, actually, uh, I think it was mostly a chance because I didn't, I, I forgot to mention that I did my high school in UK. So after I finished my high school in UK, I applied to medical schools in Ireland and UK. So I ended up in UK in Cork University. Um, so that's why I ended up in, in, in Ireland. But uh, at that time, also, we didn't have any, any many, uh, actually, medical schools in the UAE, which is different right now. We are in 2022. We have at least eight or nine medical schools. But at that time, we had only one or two maybe medical schools. And, you know, uh, studying abroad and getting more experience, uh, it adds more to the, to, the, to the knowledge and the experience. And we do have scholarship by the UAE government. That's why I ended up in Ireland. And then I went to Canada. I'm fascinated by your by your journey. You're you're so you're born in the UAE, but you actually you you went to the UK, Ireland, Canada, US, and back in the UAE. So literally, you really practice. You understand medicine globally, like you know, in in uh, several countries. That's really very unique, um, and and not not very. I don't see that commonly. To be honest with you, I, I, I do see that I'm lucky because, as you mentioned, I've been exposed to different health systems like in Ireland, in Canada, and U.S., and when, when people and UAE as well. So when people talk about health systems in different countries, I can relate to the U.K., I can relate to Ireland, to the to Canada, Canadian system, also the U.S. health system. So, so uh, yes, I, I've been lucky to get exposed, and certainly this has shaped the way I think about medicine and oncology and also the value-based medicine. Have you have you thought about staying in the U.S.? A lot of uh, folks who practice medicine in Canada and the U.S. struggle um, in going back to the Middle East or their home country for a variety of reasons. I think what I normally hear uh, is because of the lack of research or the lack of drugs that are available in the U.S. in these countries. Uh, sometimes financial incentives. They say we get paid more in the U.S. or or in Canada. As as you were at MD Anderson, one of the best cancer centers in the world, what what made you like? How did you make that decision? Was it difficult? Was it hard? Take me through what made you decide to go back to the UAE. Okay, I'll I'll tell you a small story which may summarize uh, how did this happen. Um, 
When I went to my internal medicine interview uh, for the first time in Canada, my program director asked me, what do you want to do in 10 years? And I told her I would like to change the landscape of cancer care in UAE. And she said, what? I said, I would like to change the landscape and the way we treat cancer in UAE in 10 years. And she said, you know what? I like you and you are in. <laughs> and, and the system actually is different in Canada versus the, the U.S. where you have to match and then you have to wait for the match. And I do remember there were applicants waiting outside the interview room and she said, you're in. I said, are you sure? She said, yes, I am. So my point is that my mission was always very clear from, from the time I started thinking about oncology. In fact, I, I did some research. I came back home. I, 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 I went around. And I looked at the resources, the uh, available manpower. So my decision to do, do to I mean to do oncology was not just a random decision. It was based on the need of the of the country. So my mission was very clear: go abroad, get the experience, and come back home. I mean, a lot of people have that mission, but they they may not be able to stick to it for a variety of reasons. Were you concerned when you made the decision to go back that you may not have the resources that you need? Or did you have to call people ahead of time, like hospitals, even government, and say, hey, I, I, I can come back and do a lot of things, but you need to also pitch in some resources for me? Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, the first two years where I've been here exactly in UAE for the last 2017, now 2022, almost five years, or five years and a half, uh, the first two years were very, very, very tough. Uh, in different ways. Number one, people don't appreciate exactly what's your background. So, I mean, even though they know it's in Anderson, but they don't know how much time you spent abroad, how much knowledge you have. And every time you want to make changes, you know, you have this, you know, uh, reluctancy to make any changes because it has been always done this way. And we're going to keep it this way. So it was difficult. It was tough. And again, this goes back to, to my point of, you know, writing or editing this book to try to make a change at the level of the, of the Arab countries. So, so I did try to make some connections before, but you know, it's always difficult when people don't know exactly who you are and what, what, you, what you are trying to do. Um, and, and, and it wasn't easy, but certainly it takes time. After the third year, uh, after uh, writing, publishing, uh, we published more than um, 56 publications over the last 30 years. And again, most of my publications actually focused about UAE. Uh, I've been using the, the social media a lot uh, to to increase the awareness, and 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 it did work actually. People start recognizing the the mission that I do have, and actually my team as well. And 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 I'm I'm very proud of many changes we made actually in the last few years. And in fact, I do have a meeting in the next two weeks with the with the Ministry of Health in UAE, trying to address the major challenges and how can we come up with a plan to improve the cancer care in UAE. So this was. My target always to make the change, and are we getting closer to that target? That's wonderful, and we'll go over some of the changes that that, that you've made. So, what is your current position? Where are you practicing currently? How many days do you do clinic versus administrative things? And take us a little bit through the uh, uh, some of these things. And I see myself frozen, but I'm back. So basically, currently, I'm the director of Bargil Oncology. And what's Bargil? Bargil actually, it's a private entity. Uh, when we started, when I started with them two years ago, uh, it was a single uh, unit oncology. Uh, we had no radiation, we had no PET scan, we had no, we had basically nothing. But over the last two years, we built the most comprehensive cancer care network across the UAE. We have seven centers, and um, I'm, 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 I'm the director. I'm, the, I'm not the owner, but I'm the director of the service. And we do have uh, the, the largest uh, oncology team. We have 17 oncologists and hematologists uh, in the UAE. Also, we have the only pediatric and adult uh, BNT unit in the UAE that I established with our team. Uh, we, we performed 27 uh, uh, BMTs, including allogeneic and autologous for adult and pediatric over the last 10 months. And again, 10 months is, 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 is a very short period of time to achieve these goals. And uh, we are the most publishing group in the entire country when it comes to oncology and cancer care. We established the, the first palliative care unit in the capital, Abu Dhabi. And we are serving, uh, you know, thousands of patients uh, uh, over the, the last two years. And for those folks who are not familiar with the UAE, there are several segments of the UAE, like different uh, uh, cities or um, 
states. Um, states. Um, so you have 17 locations. In each state, there's a location. You have 17. No, we state. have seven locations, but we do have 17 physician, hematologists, oncologists, and radiation oncologists. So you have a location in each state, pretty much. Yeah. So our, our model is to reach to the patient. So we do have the main uh, center that's in the capital, but we do have small centers across the country. Again, cancer patient, they can't drive for three, four hours. So, so I do like, you know, uh, three days in the capital, one day in my own city, which is two hours away. And tomorrow I'm doing, uh, for example, uh, a clinic in another uh, location, which is actually also two hours away from the capital. So by this model, we can reach the patient, make it easier for them. We deliver treatment, either chemotherapy or surgical, you know, approaches locally to them. But if they need radiation, they have to go to the capital to receive the radiation treatment. Got it. Uh, Ahmed, uh, tell me about chemotherapy in general. Is everything available uh, in the UAE b b and maybe the insurance uh, piece? Is it um, out-of-pocket uh, fee-for-service or is there health uh, plans and health insurance that the yes. government or like private uh, payers, how does that work? And let's say a drug gets approved by the FDA this month. How fast can you prescribe it in the UAE? Okay, so let me answer the, the drug uh, thing approval first. Uh, we have been actually uh, pushing to get a, uh, approval for the medications. Uh, many, many medications have been approved in the UAE immediately after being approved in the US. And this is actually uh, in collaboration with the pharmaceutical companies. You know, we approach them, we tell them like, you know, we need these drugs. So, so the drug accessibility, mostly, not always mostly, not an issue. Um, because of our role and also the government is very committed to, to make medication available. We do have very unique problem in the UAE where we have many patients with cancer. They travel abroad for cancer care. And this is a very challenging problem because the government actually is, is, is supporting these patients. Um, for example, patient wants to go to MD Anderson. The government will pay for them to go to MD Anderson. They want to go slow and catering. They will pay for them. They want to go to Mayo Clinic. So the concept is patient, mostly they want to travel abroad. Actually, we're trying to change this concept where we do have the resources available. We have the skills. We have the experience, especially patient four with advanced cancer stage four. They cannot live the rest of their life away from home just because they're getting tight of treatment. So regarding the coverage, <clears throat> every single citizen UAE is covered by the government. So they, they receive completely for full treatment, either like, you know, simple treatment or very complex treatment, expensive treatment, doesn't matter. They're completely covered and they can be treated in either private or public hospital and they're still covered. Wow. So even yes. if they private, uh, oh, yes. a, that, that is amazing. Yes. On the other hand, when we have the expats who are 90% of the population in the UAE, they need to have insurance. And again, the insurance, you know, uh, varies between like, you know, top, you know, insurance versus very basic insurance. And there's a wide variation between these different insurance. But but uh, I can tell you, uh, almost everyone in the UAE either living here or the citizen, they, they, they do get treatment. Some cases when they when they reach the, when they max out in their insurance, they have to go to some charity hospitals and there are some in the country as well. Yeah, and, and we'll go over once we start talking about the book, uh, we'll, we'll be able to see the variation. But but that is really very interesting. So as you went in, at least from a drug access, for the most part, you have them and you can lobby yes. for the newer ones. You mentioned something that intrigued me about bone marrow transplant. Yes. And I think we all know that transplant and a lot of oncology care requires really very good nursing capabilities. I mean, no matter what, you're not going to be with the patient day and night, but you're hospitalized patients with the nurses. How, When you went back, how did you feel the nursing capabilities are? Did you have to focus on nursing education, especially with transplant? I mean, these are very sophisticated nursing skills. Well, actually, you're touching a very critical uh, issue and a challenge that I faced when I got home. Uh, again, um, nurses here actually they're not empowered uh, enough to do things the way we're used to them in the US and Canada. For example, you could be giving a wrong order and the nurses will do it because you gave it to them without even questioning uh, the, the, the accuracy of the order. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but in the US, even if you are attending, if you're a professor, 
it doesn't matter if you give them a wrong order or a questionable order, they're gonna question you and they're gonna ask you like, hey, can you review this again? Are you sure you wanna give this? Or is there is there rational? So they can, I wouldn't say they challenge you, but you know, they, they, they try to, to make sure you're doing the right thing. And again, I think this is because the culture here, uh, the, the look, at, you know, they, they look at the nurses as, as, as just more like a, uh, a service, you know, they're providing a service, they're changing the bed sheet, they're giving the medications, but the value actually of their nurses, as we know, it's much, much more than that. So what we did in our group, actually, we did lots of training for nurses. For example, I've been, when I do around with the, with the nurses, I tell them like, you know, this is the way you have to present the information. When I ask you this question, you know, you can be confident. You can also, you know, tell me this would happen overnight. So I, I, I try to encourage them to be more, uh, you know, engaged with the discussion, with the, with the, with also decision making, which is something that they are not they are not used to. This is amazing to me that you're doing this. Um, are there nursing schools in the UAE, Hamid? Yes, there are nurse, There are lots of nursing schools, but the reality is, it doesn't attract many local uh, uh, nurses uh, from the UAE. We do have lots of nurses from 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 India, from Philippines, but again. They usually come to us, they get the experience, and then they travel to US, Canada, yeah. and, and Ireland, basically because they're gonna have, you know, long, you know, uh, commitment there. Once they go, they can get that, you know, settled citizenship. Because usually when they come here, they're only on on you know work contract for a period of time, like five years, ten years, but they want to settle. So most of them they do travel. In fact, I I, I did lose a good nurse, uh, charge nurse for the chemotherapy just a few weeks ago. She traveled to the US. Because yeah. she she wanted to have you know uh, long term plans, but that is that is uh, I mean that's to me as I listen to this and I see how innovative you are and how passionate you are about this. It may be an opportunity to carve out certain things with policymakers with governments. Like, look, if you really want to really do make things different, uh, maybe we should have some exceptions to certain talents. So that's something. I'm pretty sure uh, you're you're capable of uh, of talking about. Maybe it's something being discussed already. In fact, uh, things has changed over the last few weeks in the UAE. There's something called golden visa, where people with the, with the, with the special talents, including nurses and doctors, they can get you know a special visa for ten years and they can renew them at that time. So so definitely things has has changed since that the pandemic and the huge shortage that we had in physicians, nurses. I mean, I mean, definitely people and also organizations, governments, they do appreciate the, the health sector more than ever before. So all of the physicians there are paid by government? Like, are you paid by the government or you're... you're no. I mean, because your, your government is is covering the the patient's care. So how, like, how do physicians get paid? Well, you either work for a government hospital or, or you work for a private uh, hospital, but... Both of them are re being reimbursed by the government. I see, but the hospital, so, the, so the private hospital pays you. An institution, yes, the institution will be reimbursed, and then you'll be paid uh, through the through your uh, you know uh, institution. Okay, what are the you know um, you know as I migrate into the book a little bit in in two seconds, but what what do you want to see in the UAE? over the next couple of years, uh, what's on your strategic plan, uh, maybe in the next two to three years, the short goals? Okay, so if you ask me this question two years ago, which actually we did publish uh, a recommendation about how to improve the cancer care in UAE, um, building a BMT unit was a priority for us for simple reason. Uh, there was no uh, bone marrow transplantation unit in the UAE, and we have around 200, 300 cases per year traveling abroad, and you can imagine, uh, the amount of the money is, the government is paying not only for the for the process of BNT but also for the families for accommodation the time lost from work so this was a big commitment from our from our end and what pushed us to 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 do this during the the peak of the pandemic was we had many patients who needed transplantation and they were stuck you, you remember there was a period of time maybe it was not in the US but many parts yeah. of the world that you know no traveling was allowed for a few yeah. months, and, and we had many patients that are stuck. So we decided we had to do that actually, and 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 we decided to build the the BNT unit uh, at the peak of the pandemic. And and I can tell you, 
Many physicians, they joined the team for BMT and they left because they did not believe this is going to happen. In fact, they had a few people from UK, um, one from France. Uh, again, I'm not a BMT doctor, I'm a medical oncologist, but you know, I was in charge of the program. I'm still in charge until now because they have to make sure it's still running. Uh, they came and they didn't believe it's going to happen and they left because it was so challenging. Uh, the infrastructure is not there. Even, even that we didn't have a clear checklist how to build the BNT, if you understand what I mean. So we start from recruitment of the manpower for the nurses, uh, getting some of the medication that's not even available in the country because nobody has done you know, BNT before, getting the machines, uh, getting the stem cell lab, everything that was done during the pandemic. And, and this is something we're very proud of because again, without someone trying to push for this to happen, it wouldn't have happened. And we did this because of the need and if you ask me what 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 I'm what am I looking for now over the next few years, I'm looking to improve the quality of care. We do have uh, almost 80 or 90 oncologists. They're coming from different backgrounds, some from US, some from Canadian training, some from Europe, some from, from Asian countries, some from Arab, Arab countries. So there's a huge variation between the experiences and also the, the practices. And I can tell you, you know, I, I really believe that you know there is a huge improve, a huge room for improvement. And in fact, this is on my on my on my document, which I'll be submitting to the government in two weeks' time, is we need to to enforce MDTs for every single cancer case. That's amazing. So, so uh, is there right now in the UAE? Um, are there a fellowship training? Like, is there a couple of universities? You talk about medical schools, uh, obviously, but um, advanced training and uh, are there fellowship programs for Hemonc uh, right now and how many are there and how does that work? I'm currently the chairman of the fellowship training program in the country and I've been appointed actually uh, in May and we are building the first comprehensive uh, program across the country uh, and I'm supposed to do a presentation, the final presentation in two weeks, thank you for reminding me, in two weeks time. So currently we don't have any accredited program but actually this is our mission to, to build an accredited program uh, for the country. It's gonna be three pathways, either hemat pure hematology or either pure medical oncology or combined medical oncology and hematology. And we're doing this just to give all the institution that there are, you know, the, 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 the option of choosing whatever, whatever is best for them. But myself, I do believe that, you know, we need to separate medical oncology from hematology. I'm not sure if you agree with me, but you know, the, the field is so complex now. It's very hard to keep up with all the data and the changes happening on semi-daily basis. Well, even within medical oncology, so for example, you have 17 physicians, uh, and I know you were trained GI oncologist and, and a palliative care, but uh, I presume it's really impossible just to do GI oncology. No, I mean, you must, you, you have to see others, other areas. Definitely, definitely that, you know, we see, but, you know, we do know that, you know, each, we know the preferences of each other. Like I know my colleague, like prefer to do gynae, I prefer to see GI, but we still do everything. I do everything in solid tumor, but I didn't do anything with hematology because, again, it's separate training. And in Canada, you either do medical oncology or hematology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, are you able to do CAR-T cellular therapy uh, at the UAE? Well, actually, this is our next project. And actually, we're in discussion with different uh, providers. Uh, we did discuss with uh, with uh, some providers, you know, the well-known names. I will not mention names, but you know, their expectation was 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 very high, very complex process. So we went to different pathway. We have a connection with Chinese manufacturer. Also, we are, we are looking into another you know manufacturer from India, and they do have actually excellent results. So we are in the discussion with them how to uh, run a clinical trial first, and then we can bring it to the country. It's 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 pretty complex. Um, what you mentioned, and and I'm I'm honestly fascinated how much you've done in a short period of time. But um, tell me about how the interaction is with the U.S. institutions. We hear about Cleveland Clinic, Abu Dhabi. Um, we know Hopkins has a presence. Mayo probably has a presence. Is this purely to bring research studies? Is it to bring? nursing is it to bring physicians from mayo i mean i i don't understand that yes. but we certainly i know from my colleagues here at the cleveland clinic there's a cleveland clinic abu dhabi but i have no idea what that means 
Yeah. So basically, the UAE government is very committed to provide state-of-the-art, uh, you know, services and and cancer care for their pe- for their people. Uh, John Hopkins was in charge of the administrative uh, process for one of the hospitals, and then Cleveland also was was in the process of of uh, also administrative, uh, you know. Uh, um, care and also supervision for one of the hospitals before opening the large building in Abu Dhabi. Uh, also, Mayo Clinic is actually is operating one of the hospitals called Sheikh Shahboud in Abu Dhabi. Um, from my point of view, I think the only issue that they are coming with the U.S. mentality and they are not looking at the, at the, at the local aspect of the cancer care. There are so many challenges, and I keep telling everyone that, you know, even when I meet with them, in fact, I met with the clinic maybe a month ago, and I told them, uh, you guys have to think away from the U.S. You know, uh, perspective. Our patients are different. Uh, they think differently. Uh, they, they, they even the way you approach them regarding the treatment, providing the treatment, even discussion about palliative care, DNR, everything is different. So you cannot really implement what you're doing in the U.S. in the UAE. Again, this is very, very, very uh, interesting area. But uh, you know, this is what I see the challenge actually with the U.S. institution, the UAE, and that's why. I decided myself actually to work in an independent way uh, somewhat uh, to try to provide the, the cancer care from the U.S. perspective, but from also from a local perspective, because I know how people think. I look like them. I speak their accent. I, uh, my name is similar to their name, and I look like them. So it's different when you deliver the message. People do you know, accept the message from, from someone who is very close to them, and, and, and I do hope that you know, I've been successful in this. There's no question that the cultural similarities between physicians and their patients does play do play a role in establishing trust factor. There's no question about that. I guess my question was more along the line, like, you know, uh, what is the level of affiliation? In other words, so when you see a Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, does that mean all the trials that we have at the Cleveland Clinic here are available? Like, what, 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 what does that mean? Is it just a marketing thing, or is there like more? No, actually, a... actually, actually, they do have some physicians who are actually from Cleveland Clinic. Also, they do have physicians from Mayo Clinic practicing, but it's not the entire hospital. So you do have some physicians uh, who practice at Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic are being, you know, employed in the in, in this institution, but. That, that most of the actually other you know um, uh, uh, healthcare providers actually from 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 the lo- from the local uh, I would say uh, you know local training or from the region, but they are not all from making it. But do actually but do they do follow the, the the guidelines and the principles from their mother institutions. I see. I but see. regarding trials, no, they, are, they they they're not running. If you're running a trial in the, in the U.S. It's on the U.S. It's not in the U.A. Right. And are you are you working on establishing clinical trials office and CRO and things like that so you could start an IRBs and to start opening trials there? Actually, we do have uh, two FDA approved clinical trials in Barjil Hospital uh, that you know they've been approved and we're working on them. Uh, it's more with the, with my colleagues from Thalassemia uh, group. So we 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 are actually working very hard. And in fact, I did just finish writing a paper. The title of the paper, Challenges and Barriers to Implementing Clinical Trials in Cancer Care in UAE. It's under review, and definitely this is an area of interest. And I'm giving also a lecture next month with the regulators trying to come up with the, with the, with a solution for some of the practical challenges that we have and how to improve the cancer care through research in the UAE. And it looks like you did not have enough on your plate. So you decided, you know what, I have a couple of minutes every day that I have sleeping. Let me write a book. Like you weren't busy enough, right? You're like, oh, you know, I have like, you know, a couple of hours. Let's forget sleep. I'll write a book instead. Well, actually, uh, the story of this book actually is is interesting because, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, when I moved from the U.S. to UAE, you know, the first thing I was looking for something like, you know, seer data, you know, some 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 data availability. So I can I can just see what's happening. And the other thing was striking to me was the 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 younger population that I'm seeing here with cancer is astonishing. I did a study two years ago, which I published last year. I found out after analyzing the cancer data from UAE, 45% of cancer patients in the UAE are between the age of 20 and 49. Again, 45, almost a half, between the age of 20 to 49. 
And this is actually what we see in daily, in my, in, on, my, on our daily practices. And again, this is different than what we see in the US. Now, US, like we see younger, but also we see at 50s and 60s and 70s. We do think maybe there is, because our population is young, we do have lots of expats living in the country, but also when we exclude the expat, we still have around 37% of the local population their cancer between the, the age of 20 and, and 49. So when I moved to the US, I was looking for some data. I was trying to compare our data with, with Saudi Arabia, with Lebanon, with Egypt, and I couldn't find much. There were some you know, data, but actually they were more about breast cancer in Egypt, colon cancer in Saudi Arabia, but there, were, there was nothing like you know, solid where you can sit down and have a look. So I started thinking about writing a paper about cancer care in the, in the, in the Arab region. But after some, some, some review, I just realized the topic is way, way, way too big, actually, for, for whatever research paper. And I said, you know what, let me consider uh, writing a book and, and, and also getting the, the help from colleagues from across the region. The first challenge was two publishers, actually, they re rejected the, the project because they didn't think it was interesting or exciting. You know, people are looking for exciting topics. I thought it was exciting. I still think it was exciting. And I'm going to I'm gonna prove to you it was exciting for some reasons. I'm going to disclose to you in a minute. So I started inviting people to join. This was back in March 2017. And at that time, people didn't know, like, who I am or what am I trying to do. So I received lots of rejections. And, and I was disappointed. And I put the project uh, on hold for a few months. But then I was, you know, I said, let's give it a try again. I, I approached Springer, uh, the publisher, and actually they were very, you know, interested and said, you know what, uh, we did some some search and we couldn't find any resources. We think this book is going to be a good book. So I started to work harder on the project to get more uh, published. At that time, I didn't have any research assistant or any research team. I was doing this myself, emailing, receiving the emails, you know, getting people contacts, and I had challenges to reach uh, Somalia. You know, again, the book is about uh, cancer in the Arab world. The Arab world, by definition, there are 22 countries, uh, starting from UAE, Oman, Saudi Arabia, going to Lebanon, and then Egypt, Libya, and all the way to Morocco. Also, you have Somalia. So I had challenges, you know, to reach, you know, authors from Somalia or oncologists. Uh, I had to make lots of phone calls. I had to call some universities to connect me with the local hospitals from the local hospitals, connect me with the oncologists there. Long story short, we, we were able actually to reach uh, to uh, uh, tw um, 19 groups of oncologists from across the region. I was unable to reach uh, any oncologist from uh, Djibouti. Uh, I was not able to reach Qatar, and also I was not able to reach um, Comoros. So these are the only countries I wasn't able to, to reach, but other than that, I started approaching the, the oncologists. You know, we had multiple, you know, meetings over the phone. Uh, the virtual was not that much 2018, 2019, but, you know, we had multiple, you know, phone calls, you know, WhatsApp groups, and uh, we started, you know, building the structure of the, of, the, of the project. And I thought it would be interesting also to have some special chapters, uh, for example, cancer care during crisis, and I should mention that, you know, this uh, chapter actually received lots of attention uh, since the Ukrainian uh, war happened because people were looking for resources, how to manage cancer patients during the crisis. And this was authored by our colleague, Dr. Deborah uh, Mukherjee. And uh, there were also other chapters about, about you know, uh, radiation college in the Arab world, breast cancer, uh, research in the Arab world. But at the end, uh, after five years from ups and downs, challenges, it was published in March of this year, and it has been downloaded almost 200,000 times since publication. And it's free access, by the way. I, I saw, I, I, well, I couldn't download all the chapters. I saw that there are several chapters I could download. And all read. of them are free. All of them. Okay. I'll, I'll look the again. Book. Yeah, I'll look again. I will actually take a look at it again. Um, I'm, I'm... I, sh I should just mention one, one thing. It has been named the most uh, downloaded medical book in the MENA region, the Middle East region, in 2022 until now. Well, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I read a couple of chapters, and uh, I am amazed at the amount of research that you had to do to even assemble the information for every single country. 
Um, so, so, so tell me how you did that. You mentioned you tried to reach oncologists there, um, but uh, some of the stats, uh, even the GDP that you mentioned, for example, I mean, do you call the government, the Ministry of Health? Like, how do you? And if I'm the Minister of Health in Egypt, I mean, I don't know why should I talk to you? Like, I don't know. Like, do you have to? Do you have to? Did you pay people per hour? Like, let me just take an hour of your time. I'll pay you hourly rate. Like, I don't know how. I can't even imagine how the process to even start doing this. To be honest with you, uh, let me tell you, I made the, let me tell you, I mean, I'm from the Arab region. I know how disorganized we are. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, this was a big challenge. And that's why it took uh, almost five years. And we had to do multiple revisions for the some of the chapters. So what I did was first, I wrote what I think is right as a UAE chapter. I wrote the entire thing, you know, from A to Z. I got the information. Uh, I contacted the Ministry of Health. I got the available information, analyzed them. And also I put like a timeline. If you look at the UAE chapter, there's a timeline. How did the cancer care in UAE started until 2040? Also projection over time. So then I approached our colleagues, for example, in Saudi Arabia. I showed them the project. I told them like, you know, we can do this together. Let's get the contact. Let's get the right people on board. So we start getting the group of, of, of oncologists who are willing to start to, to, to work with us. And, and uh, we, I start doing the same every single country. And again, that's why it took lots of time. There were so many challenges, difficulty getting data, difficulty accessing data. Some, some actually they pulled back from, from the project because they, were, they are afraid from publishing some data. Um, there, were, there were many challenges. To be honest with you, uh, one of my colleagues uh, from Kuwait, he told me, Hamid, when he told me about this project, I thought you're crazy and I thought this would not happen. But he said, you know what, let's see. And, and, and he helped with the, with the Kuwait project. But, but when, we, when we published the book and when I gave him a copy of the book, he said, I cannot believe that you know, uh, we, are, we were able to achieve this goal. It was not easy, but certainly, to be honest with you, I still think that you know, it's well worth it. And we're preparing now for the, for the second edition with improvement. And also, we got some authors from some countries. Uh, and, and we did learn a lot from our experience last time. So hopefully, the second edition will be also improved and will have better you know, access to everyone. So for listeners to the podcast, uh, for each country, and you go through every chapter, What every country gets a chapter uh, of the book. Uh, as you go through this, what type of information for listeners were you putting in there in each chapter? Like, how were the chapters divided in terms of the information that you wanted to, to uh, share with readers? Yes. So basically, we wanted first to have some historical background about the oncology service in the country. It doesn't have to be very extensive, but at least, you know, it's a reference for many generations to come in the future. People will have some understanding. How did the oncology service started, for example, in UAE? Uh, the first you know, uh, uh, oncology center started in 1979. So we put like you know, a page and a half, two pages about the history and how did the, the cancer care evolve over the last 30 or 40 years, depending on the, on the age of the country. And then we talk about the, the current status of the, of the statistics or data available. Uh, about the, the cancer registry in the country. And then we talk about the most common cancers. We talk about you know, the, the, the also availability of the data. We talk about the cancer control plan, if there's a cancer control plan in the country. We talk about the screening programs, if they're available, if they're accessible. Also, we talk about the quality of care. We also talk about the research in each country. So we, we try to, to cover all the aspects of cancer care from A to Z. Definitely you cannot, but at least you would have the themes to cover most of the aspect of the of the cancer care in each country. It's very descriptive, uh, right? In terms of like almost, I, I viewed the book as almost a landscape of what's going on oncology-wise in each country. And at least uh, from the chapters I read, I felt they could be um, a baseline. Like it's something to compare to. So as you start updating and following things, you know, let's say in the UAE, you'll go back and say, this is how it was in 2022, and now it's 2025. You know, you could even look at changing the trends of cancers. Because I'm still fascinated when you say that 20 to 49, you've got 45% of cancers. I don't know if that's because of smoking. Uh, possible. I mean, people in the Middle East, they smoke a lot. Uh, so it is possible that this is the trend, but uh, it is rather unusual to, to see that trend and it may change with time as you follow the book with, with new projects. 
Agree, and actually, and, and again, this was the whole idea to have a baseline. So in the future, we can compare, we can we can make changes. In fact, we, we just finished uh, the, the updating the UAE chapter and the chapter was almost 4,000 words. Now currently it's 12,000 because we added more well, sections. We talked about AI and oncology in UAE. We talked about oncofertility. We talked about also psych oncology. You know, these topics that we didn't cover in the first you know, edition, now we have more information. We have more experience with the, with the current landscape of the UAE. So we're adding more and more about these topics into the, the, the newer edition. Uh, I think we can all agree that different countries have different resources. I mean, Syria and Lebanon are just simply not Saudi or UAE or or even Agreed. Kuwait in terms of resources. Does the book offer a path forward for the countries that are less resourced? Um, yes. You know, some some somebody like you know Lebanon, Syria, even Libya. Let's say, do you offer a path forward into what you could possibly do to improve on oncology care? Definitely. And again, as I mentioned to you that, you know, we did uh, have a section about, you know, cancer care in, in, in crisis and in war and zone area. And again, uh, these countries, you know, Libya, you know, Syria, Lebanon, they do have, you know, uh, war zones. And we did uh, describe the current status of cancer care and what are the practical solutions, how to tackle these issues and how to improve the cancer care during these crises. But also at the same time, we had a chapter, or actually the introduction, we described the way forward. How can we improve the cancer care in general in the, in the, after reviewing all these countries? There are so many common themes. For example, we need to improve the, the screening. You know, there are so many countries that have no screening programs. We need to improve the prevention. We need to improve the, the vaccination for hepatitis, for HPV. We need also to improve the cancer registry. Some countries, their cancer registry actually is very, very basic. So we, we did provide a, a table, actually, or diagram, where we had you know, a detailed approach how to improve the cancer care in all the Arab countries, but also in the countries where uh, things are still lacking behind. And to be honest with you, as you mentioned, it was very interesting to learn that the huge variation between between the countries, you know, that you have 22 countries, but you have huge variation where you have top-notch, you know, countries with advances, where you have nothing in some other countries. So really it was an eye-opener for me and also learning experience. And again, it's an area of 400 million people and, and so it's, it's even bigger than the US, but also the huge variation still exists. You know, one of the things for oncology, I believe is that you could be the best oncologist, the smartest oncologist, right? But yeah, but, resources. But, but but you need a surgeon, you need a radiation oncologist, you need a pathologist, right? I mean, you cannot actually execute on clinical care unless you have this multidisciplinary care. And, and I think that is that is where the biggest pitfalls is in order for you to do the right clinical care that you really want to do. You want to make sure you have all of the disciplines around you that are able to enable you to do the best care. As you wrote the book across uh, the 22 countries that you described, did you feel that, uh, how did you feel that the other disciplines, not medical oncology, in terms of their availability and strength across the Arab world? Well, actually, um, I should say the variation still exists. Uh, I'll give you a very simple example, palliative care. Some countries, they have no palliative care physicians or uh, any infrastructure for palliative care, no hospices. This is a very small example because, again, palliative care, we are all exposed to palliative care in our career. But also the surgical skills, pathology, molecular testing. Molecular testing actually was one of the topics that was was very obvious. You know, there are some challenges in some countries because if you don't have a proper molecular testing for some diseases, you are unable to diagnose them very well. And this was a very common theme. So pathology and also um, accessibility to radiation. Some countries they don't they don't have access to radiation. Uh, for example, Somalia they have they have very limited and patients may wait for months to wait to get any radiation. Yeah, and, and these are, I mean, even, for example, at the UAE, you feel you have good support around you in terms of other specialties? Yes, because, again, um, the UAE, actually, we do we do attract, you know, top talents, you know, oncologists and hematologists, mm -hmm. and also, you know, surgeons. We do have, you know, uh, uh, surgeon trained at Indy Anderson, 
Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic Cleveland, not, they are not working in the main hospital, but they are working in different hospitals. Even in our group, we do have, you know, highly trained physicians. Again, it's, it's, uh, we do try to select the highly trained physician uh, to be part, as you mentioned, you know, if the surgeon are doing their job right, my, 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 my task is going to be very tough to fix right. whatever they do. Right. It's amazing how, uh, as you're starting to update the book already, it, <laughs> just like a year ago it was published, you're seeing, you're, uh, I, I got struck by uh, 4,000 words to 12,000 words. Um, I mean, it just seems there's a lot to talk about, really a lot about. So, so as you did this, um, can you maybe share with, with, with us um, a couple of things that really stood out and really struck you? Like you were not really expecting them, but you did the research and like, wow, either positively or negatively, anything that just stands out that uh, you can think of? Okay, so the first thing actually I learned was the passion of the oncologists across the, the Arab region to do research. Uh, many actually people, they, 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 they were very keen, excited, and they were also, they, are, they were willing to, to do an extra work to, to get involved in research. So this is something that, you know, I learned because, you know, many they are still approaching me trying to do some research, work with us, even if they have no resources. And if you see uh, many physicians practicing in the U.S. or Canada or Europe, they're actually from the Arab region. So we, we are not lacking of, of brains or talents. We're just lacking of the infrastructure and, and ability to retain these, you know, experts in the region. So this is the first thing uh, I learned. And the second thing was the, 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 the poor data availability in our region. And this actually is very, very critical. If you're planning for any cancer care in our region, you cannot do that without understanding exactly what you're dealing with. You cannot plan for screening. You cannot plan for prevention. You cannot plan for resource allocation without understanding exactly what you're dealing with. So this is actually a major issue in many, many of the Arab region that you know, need to be addressed. Also, the difficulties with with the, with the, some uh, in some countries to access treatment. Some patients they have. I mean, some countries they have no national uh, coverage for their patient, and and some countries very difficult to get treatment for cancer. And if you get cancer, it means that you know this is the end for you. That you know you have to sacrifice your life saving, your your accommodation, your house, and everything you have, which is which is really sad. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, there's a part of healthcare, though, that I call it friendly competition. You know, I mean, you, you know, like you, um, wherever we are, I mean, as you know, for example, when at MD Anderson, you were competing with some local hospitals as well as national hospitals. In the UAE, who do you view your competition in the Arab world when it comes to healthcare? Because I got to believe that's my MBA talking here from an economic perspective. I got to believe that some of this Again, there's a clinical care, but also, you know what? If we can get people flying to see us in the UAE, more power to us, we are going to make more revenue to the country or the house, wherever it is. As you explored the Arab world and you actually looked at the region comprehensively, who can you tell which countries uh, provide the uh, best, most uh, medical competition uh, to the UAE? Saudi Arabia. So without thinking. I was going to think Jordan as well, no? Actually, Jordan, they do, but, you know, the resources, not as much as Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, actually, they do have, uh, you know, um, big institutions, uh, King Faisal, for example, and Riyadh. Uh, they have also the, the multiple institutions uh, across the country. Um, Lebanon, they have AUB, American University of Beirut. Um, King Hussein also, uh, as you mentioned, uh, but certainly uh, Saudi Arabia will, will, will be the, the, the center that, you know, I see that, you know, they are hub for cancer care, plus the AUB, plus or minus the AUB in Lebanon. But, you know, the AUB Lebanon, they do have the challenge with the, with the, with the, with the, with the financial crisis, economical crisis, so not everything available easily in, in, in Lebanon. Well, at Saudi, they don't have you, so, hey... That's no, they, they do have excellent physicians in Saudi Arabia. Not you know you, what? And, not and you. I, I, would like, I would like to mention this because many, many, uh, you know, physicians or even healthcare providers didn't know how much, they didn't know much about Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, they have an excellent health system. And actually, even when it comes to the cancer care, they have one of the most outstanding, you know, uh, cancer centers in the Arab region. They even did their first CAR T cell uh, a few months ago in Saudi Arabia. Wow. I did not, I did not know that. Uh, I mean, uh, 
anything I should have asked you that I may have forgotten to ask you? And by the way, how do can you tell us how do people can access the book? They can just Google. They can buy it. They can, they can buy it uh, as a hard copy, and the cost is $39 US dollars. We made this, you know, making sure that, you know, this is going to be just the cost of uh, publication. Uh, they can access the book by Googling cancer in the Arab world. It will be the first thing, Springer page. They can download the entire book uh, for free without any, any, any uh, you know, challenges. Or they can persist uh, uh, if they want to have it as a hardcover. Yes. Yeah. Anything I forgot to ask you or anything we forgot to discuss that uh, uh, we should have talked about or shared with listeners? Family. Talk about Talk it. about the family, because yes. I always like to talk about my family, yes. my wife, my kids, and, and, and uh, how important the family in, uh, at work. I mean, in our career, you know, in our you know, uh, journey with medicine, it's, it's always challenging to balance family and and also to have kids i do have six kids and i had my kids uh during my my fellowship and my my residency and uh, if time goes back I, I, I would love to spend more time with them tell me about that actually that is a very good question do you feel you have good life uh, family balance um practicing medicine in the uae versus when you were at md anderson certainly yes certainly for various reasons, I think this is maybe because our families are here, because uh, we live nearby. Also, the working hours are, are actually, they're not much different, but you know, uh, we do have some flexibility with the working hours. Even though I do clinic every single day, you asked me this question, but I didn't answer. I do have a clinic every single day uh, and, and during the week, because again, we are just super busy. Uh, whatever we do when it comes to research is after hours. And we do, I do it because I enjoy doing this. If you ask me to go to the cinema or sit down to write a paper, trust me, I would love to sit down at home writing a paper and having the kids around me. So how, how is it, uh, how is it uh, the balance is better? Because you are five days a week, every day. I mean, and then you for after hours. Uh, uh, also the doing... support. Also yeah. the support I have. I do have, you know, a, a, a big team that supports me. I mean, the U.S., it's mostly that, you know, it's a consultant or physician, you know, a base. But here I do have, you know, uh, multiple, you know, uh, uh, colleagues, you know, uh, they are specialists. They're like, you know, they're not fellows, but they are, you know, they are they are not consultants. You know, the, the, the grading here is different. So you're a consultant or a specialist. So I do have that, you know, uh, four or five specialists working with me. I do the supervision. I make the decision. Uh, I try to help with the notes, but I don't spend too much time writing notes, writing orders. I split the work between them, so we try to find the balance. Uh, we try to get two days a week uh, off every one of them, and certainly this is very important for the for the ba life balance for everyone. So, so that's why you know you have the flexibility to have a bigger team, uh, support team, which is different than what I had, uh, you know, at, during my time at Ilya Anderson. I I've enjoyed this uh, immensely. Uh, uh, I mean, this is really amazing. What 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 you have done is um, it's very difficult to do. It's really really uh, kudos, congratulations. Uh, not Thank only you. just for writing the book, but really having the perseverance, the tenacity to to tolerate a lot of inconveniences, challenges in, um, uh, uh, you know, as you build an oncology program and put the UAE on the forefront of, uh, of oncology. So um, uh, congratulations uh, on everything you're so doing. Much. And uh, I'm going to take a commitment from you that we're going to bring you back on the podcast next year so we can look at the progress. But I'm hoping to see you in person as well in a few months. Inshallah. And uh, we are writing our book, Palliative Care in the Arab World. And this is a separate book uh, because we do know that, you know, it's very critical to bring this concept. And hopefully also we'll have our new edition of the Cancer in the Arab World as well by then. Yeah. I'm not sure where you find the hours, but uh, maybe you have more than 24 hours in the day <laughs> in the day in the UAE. Well, uh, Dr. Hamid Al-Shamsi, thank, you, so thank you very much for coming on Healthcare Unfiltered. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Okay, folks. Well, I appreciate you tuning in and I appreciate your support and being part of this podcast. Thank you very much 
for your support to this podcast. Thank you, Dr. Al Shamsi, for being on Healthcare Unfiltered. I look forward to visiting with him again and to learn more about the progress and about what he is trying to accomplish in that region of the world. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and write a brief review. You can watch all of these episodes on my YouTube channel, Chadi Naban and Healthcare Unfiltered. And don't forget to visit my website, www.chadinabhan.com. I would appreciate if you leave a brief review and let me know what you think and demand the t-shirt. You've earned it as a loyal listener. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a saying by Steve Jobs. Innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. Until next time, take care.